year uh, 1561, the Protestant reformer Guido de Bray wrote the Belgic Confession of Faith along with other reformed pastors. At the time of, of writing, uh, Protestant churches in the Netherlands were facing incredible persecution under the, the oppressive um, Roman Catholic government of Spain. The adherents of the Reformed faith, as expressed in the confession, they wanted to, to prove to King Philip II of Spain that they were not rebels, as they were falsely charged, but they were law-abiding citizens. So in the following year, they sent a copy of the Belgic Confession to the king, along with a message saying that they were ready to obey the government in all lawful things, but that they would offer their backs to stripes, their tongues to knives, their mouths to gags, and their whole bodies to fire, rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession. Five years after this message was sent to King Philip II of Spain, Guido de Bray died a martyr to the faith in the year 1567. Where does courage and conviction like that come from? If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 13. And if you are able, in reverence for, for God's word, please stand as I read the text. Should be up on the screen as well. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning, asking that you would send your spirit to help us to understand your word. We ask that you would be glorified through the preaching and the hearing of your word this morning. We ask that you would do it for the sake of Jesus and for his kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to encourage you to endure suffering for the sake of the success of the gospel in our world. I want to prepare you for persecution and suffering. We live in, in a time and place where it's not too difficult to imagine a, a scenario where, where suffering could become 
a reality for Christians like us, and if not for, for us in this generation, maybe for our children or grandchildren. I don't say that just to be an alarmist, but as one who, who sees that there's been growing hostility and anger built up to conservative Christians like us who hold to a high view of scripture and truth. So it's with our cultural moment in mind that it seems that this text comes to us with some providential urgency. I want to start this morning by highlighting the main point of our text. The main point is that gospel ministry comes with suffering. Gospel ministry comes with suffering. Right at the beginning in verse 3, Paul gives the, the command to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. If you were here with us uh, two weeks ago, Ryan preached on the way in which the body of Christ can share in suffering, uh, the way that Anisiphorus shared in suffering with Paul during his imprisonment. This morning I want to focus more broadly on how Paul wants us to think about suffering in general. This command to to share in suffering is really just a a summary of the main and overarching theme of the rest of of 2 Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says that he was appointed as an apostle and teacher, which is why he suffers as he does. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, he says, You, however, have followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then in in chapter 4, verse 5, he says, As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. It's clear that Paul wants Timothy to know that faithfulness to gospel ministry includes suffering. It's not just an exception that only radical Christians should expect to face, but rather it's a normal aspect of life for the faithful Christian. Regarding 2 Timothy, one commentator said that faithfulness leads to trouble, and great faithfulness leads to great trouble, calling for great courage. Paul wants his protege, Timothy, to have courage in the face of suffering. He wants you to have that as well. Now, what do we mean uh, by the, the term suffering? Biblically speaking, suffering can take on a variety of, of forms, from sickness to physical ailments to relational strife to extreme hunger and thirst to being shamed and dishonored. It goes all the way to imprisonment and torture and death. It's not talking about being cut in line at the grocery store, but it is a broad term that can include being taunted and reviled and abandoned and insulted and silenced, slandered. So sometimes suffering can come to bloodshed, but it doesn't always 
have to. So with, with that broad definition of, of suffering in place, just consider with me for a moment what Paul says uh, in chapter 1, verse 8 again. And this, this is Paul's initial command to Timothy to suffer uh, in 2 Timothy. He says, do not be ashamed, but share in suffering. So notice that the, the alternative here to suffering is being ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And this is really important. I want you to know that the, the gospel is at stake in the way that we view and approach suffering. Timothy has had unique pressures on him that would tempt him to be ashamed of, of Paul and his ministry. But Christians of every age, you and I have, we're confronted with our own set of temptations that would uh, call us to suffer for the gospel. And we need to be encouraged so that when we're presented with opportunities to guard the gospel in the face of suffering, we would be strengthened and prepared by the grace of Christ to endure it boldly. So as we think about the, the reality of suffering in the life of the faithful Christian, I want to illustrate three truths from our text this morning that will encourage you to embrace suffering for the advancement of the gospel in our world. First of all, I want to consider the question, how are you to suffer? How are you to suffer? Look with me at verses 4 through 7. Paul says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul is helping Timothy here and helping us by providing three uh, pictures that highlight the the necessary requirements a good soldier of Christ must have as they relate to suffering. In other words, he's teaching us how to suffer. The first of these pictures just uh, expands on the military imagery introduced in verse 3. Paul wants Timothy to know that there is a mission and there are military objectives at stake in the life of the Christian. And a soldier must be focused and disciplined. The, the main emphasis here is to discourage the Christian from distraction. There must be a, a single-minded devotion to duty for the follower of Christ. You may have seen the movie that, that came out last year titled 1917. <clears throat> In the, the movie, there are two British soldiers that are tasked with the, the important mission to deliver an urgent message to Colonel Mackenzie of the 2nd Battalion of the Devonshire Regiment of the British Army. That's a mouthful there. The, the message that they are uh, to send is to call off a, a scheduled British attack for the following morning that would jeopardize the lives of over 1,600 men. In the course of their mission to deliver the message uh, to the colonel, the soldiers cross into what was considered no man's land. They crawl through an underground barracks, sneak through an enemy-occupied town, swim down a river, and sprint across an open 
battlefield to accomplish their task. From the beginning to the end of this suspenseful movie, these soldiers have one thing on their mind. They want to accomplish their mission and deliver the message to the colonel. And though the movie is predominantly fictional, if you've seen the film, you know that it highlights well what Paul is talking about here. There are things that distract you from the mission, and you must not be distracted. You must not run off course. Paul knows that not everyone who professes the faith will finish the race. Later on in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul indicts uh, Demas for deserting him and leaving the faith because he was in love with this present world. Demas became distracted and he deserted Paul. May that be a sober warning for you too. We don't know exactly why Demas left the faith, but it's worth, worth asking yourself, have you lost focus of the great commission of Christ like Jordan talked about last week to disciple the nations and to save the world? Do the, the pleasures and material comforts in your life distract you from your responsibilities as a soldier of Christ? Has unconfessed sin taken root in your soul and numbed you to the good news of the gospel? Do you know the places in which the gospel is under attack in our culture today? And are you ready to stand firm and hold fast to the gospel in the face of suffering and persecution? As we encounter and share in suffering for the gospel, Paul wants you to be single-minded in your devotion to duty. The second picture Paul paints for Timothy in verse 5 is that of an athlete. The requirement for winning as an athlete in this context is contained in the idea of playing according to the rules. Timothy and the readers of this text would have been very familiar with the Olympic and Isthmian games that, that took place in that day. It's likely that the, the phrase, according to the rules here, uh, refers to either one, the, the specific rules of an individual race or contest, or to the 10-month period of training required for qualifying for the games. Regarding uh, either of these options, one commentator says that either is possible, but this ambiguity does not affect the understanding of the application of the metaphor to Timothy. He's to look above in the text to the overriding requirement made of him, suffering. The attempt to avoid suffering or situations that might lead to suffering would amount to a breach of the rules. As a follower of Christ, you must discipline yourself to engage in gospel ministry with the expectation of what loyalty to the gospel will cost you. The rules of the game don't call you to be obnoxious and foolish, and you can certainly suffer for those things, but the rules do call you to be determined as you face suffering for righteousness' sake. The last uh, image that Paul gives to Timothy in verse 6 is that of the hardworking farmer. As you're probably aware, the work of ministry is difficult. 
And Paul is reminding Timothy of the, the effort and diligence that will be required of him. Much like farming, pastoral ministry is demanding. Friends leave you. Church members suffer from sickness and death and job loss. Spiritual needs abound. And the devil and his wolves prowl around trying to to snatch up straying sheep. And it's with the the strength that God supplies that that a man must work hard to pastor well. Everyone knows that that laziness and apathy and sleeping in too long make for poor farming. In the same way, laziness and sluggishness make for poor gospel ministry. And this this applies more broadly to to all Christians. If you have been sleeping in on the the proverbial job of the Christian life, then this text is encouraging you to, to wake up and get to work. You don't have the luxury of being a passive and a complacent Christian. There is work to do, and you have a role to play in Christ's body. And as you work and labor for the gospel, expect to suffer and be resolute. Paul ends his his series of of those three images in verse 6. He continues in in verse 7 saying, Think over what I say. Listen up. Pay attention, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. As we slow down and and think over what Paul is saying here and the precise language he uses, it's it's possible to detect an allusion to Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, where the father tells his son, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Not only are there parallels in the, the, subjects, the subject and verbs used in these two verses, but the same word is used to reference understanding. It's even more compelling of a parallel when you consider the way that, that Paul acted as a spiritual father to Timothy. So the same father-son uh, dynamic from Proverbs is, is here too. So what might be the point of the, the parallel here that Paul is making? It seems that Paul is reminding Timothy that according to the tradition of wisdom in Proverbs, that wisdom and understanding begin with fearing the Lord. This is even mentioned in chapter 2, verse verse 5 of of Proverbs. And so Paul wants Timothy to know that the way of wisdom in the face of suffering also begins with fearing the Lord. This is supposed to, to ground Timothy in his single-mindedness as a soldier, his discipline as an athlete, and his effort as a farmer in the face of suffering. Imagine what it would look like if the church feared the Lord in the way it talked about the the culturally pressing issues of our day. It's interesting that throughout the, the course of history, Christians haven't always been persecuted just because they said, I believe in Jesus, though that has happened, many times uh, they were persecuted because they were enemies to the idols of the society to which they belonged. They wouldn't yield to the doctrine of the moment. And they stood for truth because they feared the Lord. What does that look like for, for us today? 
Will we submit to, to our culture's godless doctrines regarding sexuality, marriage, and abortion? Or will we refuse to bend the knee? What will come of us when we refuse to say that, that boys can become girls? Will we refuse to, to conform like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did before the statue of, of King Nebuchadnezzar? When you fear the Lord more than you fear man, you can stand boldly on God's word and embrace suffering with freedom instead of being ashamed. This brings me to my second point, which is to look at the goal and motivation that Paul gives to Timothy for facing suffering. So secondly, I want to look at what is the motivation for suffering given in our text. Verses 4 through 6, Paul briefly mentions three motivations for suffering. He says that the, the soldier's aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So one of your goals should be to please the Lord who has called you into his service. The, the pleasure of one who is in authority above you is such a powerful motivation, isn't it? Think of, of Jesus' words in his parable regarding the master who said to his servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's powerful. We should embrace suffering to please our Father in heaven. Then Paul says that the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Clearly, the athlete aims to win. He or she suffers because that's what it takes to be victorious. Any high school or college athlete knows that the championships don't come without blood, sweat, and tears. The, the drive to win motivates you to spend yourself. And as they say, leave it all out there on the court. Likewise, Christians should be motivated to suffer because they want the gospel to advance and win in our world. May we be like Paul who, who elsewhere says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. And then third, Paul links hard work and suffering to reward. In the text, he says that the farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. Some uh, interpreters take this sharing of the crops as referring to, to material support from the church. I think it's more likely that, that Paul is referring to, to spiritual reward here. In chapter 4, verse 8, Paul speaks of the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award, me, award to me on that future day. This heavenly crown pushes Paul forward pushes us forward in our efforts as disciples of Christ. So there's an eschatological reward that should also motivate you for gospel ministry today. The, the last goal of suffering I want to bring your attention to is perhaps the most relevant to, to our mission as a church, perhaps the, the most significant motivation that, that Paul gives us here in our text this morning. Verse 10, Paul tells us the reason for why he endures all of his suffering. He says, Therefore, I endure everything 
for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, for Paul, the, the doctrine of election does not make him less evangelistic. It actually makes him more. He knows that, that faithfulness in the face of suffering for the gospel leads to fruitfulness in ministry. He knows that though he is bound in prison, the word of God is not bound. He knows that the gates of hell will not prevail against the advancement of the kingdom of God. And he cares for the the sake of the elect enough that he's willing to, to risk his life for their salvation. He doesn't see any contradiction between God's sovereignty and his effort and his suffering. As you refocus your mind on these truths, you need not be pessimistic about our times and our circumstances. You can face shame and suffering and even death with optimism like Paul. Imprisonment and chains cannot stop God from saving his elect in the world. So be faithful and courageous in the midst of suffering. May we be like Paul in this regard. This brings us to the third truth about suffering from our text. So third, I want to consider the question, where does the strength to suffer come from? In verse 8, Paul tells Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Though Paul has provided a model of suffering and of faithful gospel ministry to Timothy, it's Christ who Paul imitates and follows. And it's Christ, by his spirit, who provides the the strength for Timothy and for your continued endurance in the face of shame and suffering. Jesus is resurrected and risen from the dead. And he's alive today and he continues to draw near to strengthen and encourage those who call on him by faith. He hasn't left us here to suffer on our own. Not only that, but he's the offspring of David who sits enthroned in heaven as the everlasting king. He's sovereign over the nations and he will make all of his enemies his footstool. His purposes will not fail. Paul wants you to know that the truth of Jesus' resurrection and his enthronement as king are not just past events in history, they're present realities that you must remind yourself of over and over again. Paul goes on to connect this idea of remembering Jesus with his trustworthy saying in verse, verses 11 through 13. He says, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. These are two gospel promises followed by two gospel warnings that are meant together, uh, meant by Paul to, to strengthen Timothy to endure. The the two promises that Paul lists here embody the entirety of Christian existence. They give hope to the sufferer. Light comes after darkness. Vindication 
replaces suffering. Reigning with Christ follows endurance and life springs from death. Do you believe this? You could die a martyr's death, but even if you don't, you can be strengthened as you remember your union with Christ in his death and resurrection. So be dead to sin, as Romans 6.11 says, and live your life in righteousness to God. And while you're doing that, endure. Embrace suffering as the normal calling for the believer. And do not be ashamed. The two warnings Paul then gives in verses 12 and 13 are meant to be unsettling to his hearers. He wants the the disobedient and disbelieving person to know the eternal consequences at stake in denying Christ and being faithless. Additionally, he wants to to bring the the present possibility of disowning Christ to bear on the professing Christian. Whether or not the the word faithless in verse 13 refers to just a temporary state of unfaithfulness or to, to permanent and settled unbelief, the reality is that you need to know that Christ will be faithful to his covenant. He is faithful both to his promises and to his judgments. His mercy is great, and his wrath severe. Paul reminds Timothy that apostasy and doubt and disbelief and suffering will not and cannot thwart God from accomplishing his purposes in history because they stand on a sure foundation. They stand on the rock of ages, and Jesus Christ cannot deny himself set out this morning to encourage you to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel in our world. Did that by illustrating, one, how you are to suffer. Two, what should motivate you to suffer. And three, what can strengthen you in the midst of suffering. In closing, I want to ask just three brief questions by way of application. First, who Or what do you fear most? Do you fear the world and what man can do to you? What would it look like if the fear of the Lord directed all of your thoughts and actions? Could we say with the psalmist, the the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Second, are you aware of those who have gone before you and suffered for the faith, people like Guido Debray. If not, a great way to prepare for suffering is to familiarize yourself with the stories of faithful and courageous saints who've gone before you and who have suffered for the faith. Peter writes, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Know that when you suffer, You stand in good company. And lastly, do you know the pattern of how God works in history? God's pattern is one of death and resurrection. Suffering and then revival. Martyrdom and then multiplication. This may not be the way that we would have planned it ourselves, but it is the way that that God operates. Paul says, Indeed, 
we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. We pray that you would strengthen us. Um, strengthen us uh, by giving us a confidence in your word, by giving us confidence in the truth um, of your gospel. We ask that you would make us a people full of courage in our times, that we would hold fast um, to your promises that we would fear you above anything else that might be fearful in this life. We ask that, um, that as we face the possibility of, of suffering and persecution, uh, that we would know that your, your kingdom is going to advance. Um, and this is the way that you do it, uh, by, um, by the death, of resurrection and Christ, uh, death and resurrection of Christ and, and all that that means. We ask that you'd be glorified by our lives, by our living, by our dying. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.